Hello, welcome to Men and Human 2, the greatest podcast on men's mental health. Yes, let's push the narrative. Come on. I haven't posted an episode in a while and I'm so glad to be presenting this one where I have a sit down with my friend who is a mindfulness instructor and we talk about the importance of mindfulness in our lives, the misconceptions that surround it and also how we can begin to apply it to our everyday lives. One of my major takeaways from this conversation was that mindfulness practice, the practice itself is its own reward. Chris's words, not mine. <laughs> so anyway, without further ado, guys, I hope you do enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed filming it with Chris. Enjoy. Chris is definitely someone who every time I speak to, there's a takeaway, even if, it, if it's not intended, you know, this is a person who usually, I don't know, every time I speak to Chris, he's very wise and he's um, attentive. So even in general conversation, I feel like he's listening and he manages to give me like a shift of a mindset, which is actually pretty good. And I, I always appreciate it. So yeah, welcome, Chris. Thanks for that, Valentin. And uh, you're right. Most of the time it's not intended. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, um, usually I'm like, let's go for a coffee and then I'll sit with you and I'll, I'll, I'll find myself just sharing about some, you know, things that I'm thinking about. And then you'd like reframe it for me and just put things in perspective, you know, so um, I really appreciate you for that. You know? Yeah, thanks, Valentin. And sometimes, sometimes that's the way it happens, right? You know, just when it's the most casual, you know, the, the little nuggets of wisdom can come out. <laughs> yeah that's so true um yeah so uh maybe chris do you mind just giving an little what you do in a nutshell um, yeah so um my name's chris i'm from the uk i've been in china for the last 20 years um and currently i'm running a platform called a toolkit for life and uh, it's a web platform um and it also has a wechat platform as well and what it does is um help spread mindfulness uh throughout the world and in china and it primarily does this through training programs uh, of mindfulness. Um, and the one I, I'm doing at the moment is from Oxford Mindfulness Center, and it's called the Eight Week Mindfulness for Life Program. Um, and it's a really good structured um, program with a science base, um, and I'm teaching that a lot at the moment. I'm also giving a lot of sessions in, in Beijing um, through different communities, so teaching mindfulness as well through that. And I'm also teaching uh, mindfulness through corporate training as well. Thank you for that, Chris. Cheers. Yeah. And guys, if some of you are in Beijing, please check them out. Um, I've been to a few of uh, Chris's sessions and they usually just, I don't know, they're because we, you, what you do in, during the sessions is really good. It was very grounding, very, you end up finding things within yourself that you didn't anticipate. So Chris, I mean, usually, because you mentioned uh, for people who don't know what mindfulness is, what would you say maybe other biggest misconceptions about mindfulness uh well i think a lot of people think that mindfulness is just when you um when you sit down um perhaps even before that a lot of people i've spoken to they don't they haven't even heard of the term mindfulness before perhaps they've heard of the term meditation um which i think they're both you know very uh, connected so a lot of people don't know what mindfulness is but if you don't know what mindfulness is perhaps you know what meditation is 
and medita meditation is where you have these practices where you um, sit down and you contemplate um, and the contemplation helps you come back to the present moment and the reason why that's so useful is because often especially in our modern day life our, our minds are not in the present moment you know we're often thinking about the future or um, worrying about things that have happened in the past and so mindfulness can be really useful or mindfulness practice can be very useful in helping your mind come back to the present moment and this helps reduce things like stress and worry um, and helps you to calm down your your system your nervous system that's a great answer yeah i like that uh, so you mentioned something that's quite interesting that you said uh, con you contemplate what exactly are people expecting to contemplate uh, you know during the mindfulness session if i you know uh, if i was to ask you what what were i contemplating about yeah so so this is one of the other misconceptions is that um, a lot of people think that it's a passive kind of activity where you just sit down and you just relax and you go oh yeah you know i've i've, I've i'm kind of like meditating right now and this is it but uh, mindfulness practice is actually an engaged or engaging practice which means you have to actively look at things or observe things or contemplate things and so you can observe things which are internal like your thoughts your emotions the sensations in your body or you can um, contemplate things which are external like sounds and uh, images the things that you see yeah and so this this attention or contemplation helps you to attune your focus and attention um, and this helps because a lot of, we haven't been taught any of this stuff I think so a lot of the time we're not really trained in bringing our attention and consciousness to what's happening at the moment and so a lot of the practice is about that contemplating certain objects of meditation yeah that's true uh, because I think for myself I, I find it when I pay attention to what's happening now I uh, I feel because there's something sometimes I feel this uh, sense of losing control if i don't yeah. kind of keep track of what's happening because you know life is always like shifting you and pushing you about like you know pushing and shoving you so if you're not careful you just miss the just the day-to-day -day moments and i find that bringing my attention to the present moment um, and especially after i attended one of your sessions as well um uh, it was that, that was a very like small intimate one it was great because i felt that was good because it gave me it was you know i feel like usually it's more like a one-on-one -on -one session but it's not really a one-on-one -on -one session but it because you can pay more attention to the people who you're with so i thought that was really interesting and and how you did that because you like as you mentioned during the session that how we think influences everyone else you know my presence in that influenced the discussion in a certain way right so yeah I would say, like, what what do you think uh, people usually, because as you said, you know, the misconception is that you just contemplate and whatever, but what, in terms of uh, us as people, why is it important that we we, we, we um, bring ourselves to the present moment, do you think? Yeah, I, I think you kind of mentioned it as well, you know, um, that, that relationship with ourselves, uh, often, you know, um, we actually find that quite difficult. You know, we don't really know, you know, how we really feel about things. You know, a lot of people talk about finding their authentic self and they look outside themselves to try and find that, you know, by trying to do things or reaching a higher status of some kind. And so uh, sometimes we can feel lost. 
And if we don't have that relationship with ourselves, it's really hard for us to relate authentically to other people as well. You know, in, in the session you just mentioned where we we're all intimate together in that microcosm of the world that we were in, we were co-creating it, you know. If you weren't there, certain things wouldn't, ha wouldn't have arisen in a certain way, you know. And if you had been in a different frame of mind, they would have happened in a different way as well. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah, so just by um, you being there and us framing a container where it was relaxed and f but focused and calm, you know, we tapped into ourselves and we spoke from, I don't want to say from the heart, but, you know, from, from somewhere within ourselves rather than from just our minds and what we thought we should say. We said what we, we wanted to say. And I think that can make a big difference in terms of the way we communicate with each other. And I think so that why is it important is because I think if you look at a lot of the communications that we have in our day to day lives and in the world, you would probably see that a lot of them aren't that authentic. You know, they're not coming from within. They're coming from what, you know, we can get or um, what we were conceptualizing about what we should do. And when we're all doing it, you know, me too, you know. Um, and so I think it's important that if we can tap into ourselves, maybe we can reframe you know, the way that we communicate with each other, our relationships, um, and the world that we live in. That's beautiful. So many quotables in that. Um, uh, I think that's really cool. So I have a question for you, Chris. What was the, was there one moment, because it seems like, you know, you've, you've really embodied this uh, concept of mindfulness, and even in the way you speak is very clear that this is something that you, you know, you take seriously and you live it. You, you're not only just talk about it and then that's it. So was there one moment in your life where you you remember that, you know, uh, you became a, like that moment that sparked the thought that, oh, actually I want to be a mindfulness instructor or was it like an accumulation of things and there wasn't one moment? Yeah, I'm not sure if there's one moment actually because I was thinking a bit about this recently and I remember doing a survey 20 years ago yeah, well, no, no, more than, 20, more than 20 years ago when I was at secondary school. And it's one of those, I'm not sure if you've done it before, like a career vocation. What you're meant to, what, you know, kind of, you fill out like 150 questions and it kind of tells you what kind of areas that you should go into or gives you suggestions about what university course you should do. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. And I can't remember that everybody's going to, maybe people will ask me what the name of the survey was, but I can't remember. <laughs> I, but I remember filling it out thinking, oh, this is actually quite interesting. And I, so I filled it out very genuinely. Mm -hmm. And then it gives you a list of the kind of different careers that you can do and the uh, courses you should do with them. And you're not the first one that came out was at number one. What was it? it said spiritual leader. Wow. And then the second one said something like psychology. And then the third one said writer or something like this. And then the sixth one, when you go down the list, it said lawyer. Guess one, which I went, which guess which one I went for. <laughs> Listening. I went for the law. I, I, I did the law degree, you know, because I thought that's what I, that's what I should do. You yeah. know, I thought spiritual leader, you've got to be kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't see myself, by the way, I don't see myself as a spiritual leader still, but it kind of gave me, <laughs> gave an indication of maybe the areas that I was um, interested in naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what what and made you go down the list as opposed to saying, okay, let's do number one. Let's try number one, two or three. Why, what made you just lawyer that's it i'm going for it because it's, i guess when you're thinking about um making it in the world 
you know, that's the one that, you know, sticks out in society where you think, oh, okay, that, that, you know, it's kind of like a guarantee. You think it's going to be, you think it's going to be a guarantee. And so you do it. Yeah. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with law uh, at all, you know, um, and I did it and, you know, I, I got into it and, you know, it was, it was fine. Um, I did some training in, as, as a lawyer as well. Um, but it wasn't the thing that was my natural best at, and I could feel that. And, but I, I couldn't, I didn't know why, of course, because I wasn't, you know, very um, focused, I guess, at that time. You know, I was more focused on, oh, this is the way that thing that I should do in order to make a living in the world. And so your question about, you know, how, when did you know, or, you know, I should be on the path that I am? Perhaps in one sense, I always, always did know, but I, I ignored it because I really wasn't looking inside. You know, coming back to that theme of looking inside, I was looking externally. Um, for ways that I thought the world wanted me to be rather than feeling inside what I really wanted to be and so that made me at you know 20 years ago or so feel quite lost you know I was building a career but at the same time I didn't feel quite you know right I felt stressed and worried and so I started to find you know ways to relieve that stress and so the way I found was through things like meditation and that was just by going through a bookshop and just you know when you look at the books and things that call out to you you know and I probably wasn't even conscious of that that much you know I just thought oh this would be an interesting read and then I started to practice mindfulness more and more and then over the last 20 years I've just been collecting bits of information um, about how meditation and mindfulness could help me to relieve stress and meditation almost helped me straight away you know in terms of oh yeah making me feel a bit more relaxed and being able to tackle the world um, but I don't think I really wanted to um, teach it or, you know, do it more formally until I'd got some more insights. And <laughs> something which was a bit annoying was that uh, maybe five years ago, I, I came across the Oxford Mindfulness Centre, which is the, the place that which has this course, the eight week course. And when I came across this course, I looked at the course and I thought, oh, my God. This is the stuff that I've been doing over the last 15 years. But it, but it structured it in a way which made it very much clearer. And I thought, I mean, because on that path of 15 years, I, I was very proud of myself for the, the insights I was getting, you know, about looking more internally, you know, looking at uh, my internal experience, understanding about impermanence and all this stuff, getting, starting to get that sense. But then I saw the Oxford Mindfulness course and I thought, oh my gosh, this has been around for 20 years. If only I'd found this 20 years ago. <laughs> Sorry, 15 years ago at that time. Uh, and so at that point, when I saw that course, I thought, wow, um, it's so well structured. Um, yeah, I think it might be a good thing to teach because if it can, if people can learn in eight weeks, the kind of stuff that it took me 15 years to learn, then um, I think that would probably be a good thing. Yeah, that's true. No, I think it's a great course as well. Um, but you know, as you're talking, I I was thinking about myself as well because you I also did law as as opposed to doing because I initially I wanted to do psychology, but um, upon speaking with my godmother, we realized that okay, maybe there might not be many jobs afterwards. So yeah, but with law, there's there's a there's a chance it's competitive, but there's a chance that you 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 get a job. So I did the same thing and. Yeah, I also didn't enjoy it. Um, so I, I didn't feel like you just said, you know, you explained it so eloquently. Like it just, it doesn't feel like myself. You know, I, I, I had an, an ex-girlfriend at the time. She used to tell me, you're not a typical lawyer. I was like, 
thank you for that. But um, yeah, I I completely agree with you uh, on yeah. the notion of being or wanting to be someone in the world and thinking that if you do things like law and stuff like that, you you can only be recognized and respected only if you do those things, right? But which is completely wrong, as you know yeah. now. Um, but yeah, so I mean. No. But there's, 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 there's actually another interesting point about that that I realized a bit later on about the law. It wasn't really the law that wasn't right for me. Okay. It was, the, it was, the, it was the way that I thought about the law. Ah. Do you see what I mean? The way that I interpreted the situation. Okay, explain. Uh, uh, elaborate, please. <laughs> so, so, you know, we have, we have this category of law, but there's many ways to tackle law, you know, and to approach it, you know, from different points of view, right? Um, and it was probably my thinking of, oh, this is not right for me. That was probably one of the reasons why I didn't enjoy it that much. It was, it was a circular thing to a certain extent. There's no, I wonder if there's, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no reason why you can't be a spiritual lawyer. Oh, or you think that's not, you, you think that's not, pro, you don't think that's doable? No, I don't know. But, It'd be a good thing to, to, to test. <laughs> yeah. No, but this is what I, I, I mean, because... You always manage to shift my perspective because I, I I never looked at it like that. But then, spiritual lawyer, what would you be? What area would you be practicing in? Spirituality or? I, I don't mean in just in terms of the the field, but I mean I'm in terms of the interpretation of the position and your role in that industry. Yeah, the the thing is, a lot of these categories it it helps us very much conceptualize these these roles in our society. Yeah. and the actual roles themselves but actually when when i thought about it it's something that i actually bought into as well right if you see what i mean but you, you know as you know law has has a has many areas within it yes and many ways that an individual i i, I think an individual could express themselves within that field as well yeah yeah ah. so you're saying maybe bringing some spirituality into the role like um, into the whatever field you're in, but bringing in some spirituality, like to, in how you deliver or engage or execute the role. I'm I'm saying if I was just more conscious of what I felt inside, that I was thinking, oh, this is not for me. Maybe my relationship to the law would have changed as well. So I'm not saying what I'm saying is well. Often, often we say it's that. That's yeah. why I'm not feeling good. It's the law that's not making me feel good, and it doesn't fit with me. But actually, it was that thought of it not fitting with me that probably might, might have made it not fit with me. Do you see what I mean? And I think that's one thing that, sorry, I don't think that's, that's one thing that mindfulness actually might, that helps us learn a bit, you know, because it helps us see that perhaps our interpretations of what we're doing um, influence, you know, the, our experience of it. Right. Anyway, that, that was just a thought that I had, that I thought yeah. I'd pop in there. No, it's, it's 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 a great thought. I I agree with it. But my question to that is, is it how you thought or how you felt? Because sometimes we can feel something subconsciously, and then that will affect our thoughts, right? And the way we see things. So do you, do you think maybe is it the way we've thought about it, or did you feel it internally that mm, this might not be for me? So yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I, I think one thing we learned through practice is that, you know, the thought can 
or does influence the way we feel about something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, which is, you know, my point as well about this, uh, the, the fields that we choose and the roles that we choose in our life. Yeah. It's often our interpretation of them that can help us, um, you know, which guide us to the experience that we have about that experience. Now, if, if I could maybe switch more into the male perspective, because um, of course, you know, you're a male mindfulness instructor and this is a men's yeah. podcast. So I would love to maybe dive deeper into that, if I may. So have you noticed uh, subtle differences between uh, men and women um, in, your, in your role as an instructor? Are there any notable, noticeable differences there, do you think? Yeah, I think I think before answering that question, I think that the this sense of male and female um, is also a concept that we hold in, in ourselves as well. Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's, I, and so our interpretation of what that means to be a man influences our experience of being a man as well. If we follow it through that through that kind of logic, and so to a certain extent, it um, that influences our our response to things like mindfulness as well. Like how, how should a man respond to mindfulness? For example, you know, right. those types of question. In terms of the, the difference between the people I practice with between uh, men and women, it's mostly been women that have been attending my, my sessions. Um, and I don't exactly know why. It's something I've pondered for a while. I've looked at the research as well. There's some preliminary research in this area but there's nothing in depth, which is really surprising. Neither for yoga or for things like mindfulness. There's some speculation about why um, women might be attending these types of sessions more than, than men. But there's, there's nothing really concrete. And from the sessions, the men that have attended my sessions and the women that have attended my sessions, I don't think there's a big enough sample size to really say, oh, there's a, there's a big difference in the way that the two sexes behave towards um towards the the session or mindfulness itself so unfortunately i don't really have a, a concrete answer for that <laughs> the concrete answer is that it's not very clear unfortunately at the moment yeah and the research shows that that too yeah sure no i i completely get that that's a bit of an unfair question to put on you because you know it requires a large sample and years and years of research so i completely understand that but you know, I was just kind of the the reason why I asked that is because I do agree um, that um, maybe most men might not be inclined to attend things like that. Uh, for example, um, as you've seen, the the events I used to host, they were at uh, a vicious space, which is a, a space for yoga, meditation. It was a very Zen Den type vibe. So yeah. You know, and I, f I felt sometimes it would be quite difficult to get men to come over there, you know, because it's, yes, it was, when they did attend the events, it was amazing because, you know, they were open and stuff. But it was, I guess maybe with men, they'd be more inclined to go to the bar or like go to the pub and have a drink and then talk or maybe go for a hike or go like do something active, right? So it quite be, yeah. it's difficult. But then, like you said, it's speculation. We don't know. There's not enough research in in terms of uh, of that uh, those differences there. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about some of the stereotypes, you know, when I was thinking about this as well. I mean, mm. perhaps we think, okay, men are less vulnerable, uh, less willing to express vulnerability right. than women. 
you know, might be one of the reasons. But from from what I've seen, I don't I don't have enough evidence for that. From what I've seen, I've seen men who are just as vulnerable as women in in session. Um, so, yeah, and th- and that's why I say it's really hard to say right now whether there is a difference. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. No, me too. Actually, because um, I was reading an article recently which said with men, it's the reason why most men are considered maybe not vulnerable is because we don't see the value in sitting down and talking about our feelings. We would rather feel more competent as opposed to, you know, just sitting down and talking about it. Because even if you talk about it, the problem still exists, right? Whereas yeah. for maybe uh, women, they would rather come home, you know, open a bottle of wine and just have a chat. Then they'll feel a little bit better because they, they let some stuff up. But for men, maybe that's always not the case, according to the article, which I sort of also um, agree with a little bit because when you do talk about it the problem is still there it exists so possibly um, maybe men don't see any value in attending those mindfulness events um, because all you do is just talk right you don't actually solve the problem um, maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of myself there but <laughs> I think so I think that's the issue anyway um, yeah so um, Okay, so maybe if uh, another question then, from your perspective, since you are a, an instructor, maybe yeah. that the first one was was not very good. It's this one, no, how, it's, it's good what point. do you think is important to have mindfulness as a man? Like that we practice it. Why do you why do you think there's an importance for that? Yeah, I, I think it comes back to that first kind of kind of remark that I kind of made about what's our actual concept of being a man. You know, and there's that whole spectrum of, of gender that we can that people are discussing nowadays. Um, but a lot of the our perspectives of being a man is is from society, I guess. You know, and the the kind of images that we hold of what being a, a man is. And I think mindfulness can help in terms of helping us to to observe that and see what we're actually thinking about ourselves and how we should be responding. Or reacting, you know, responding in certain contexts, um, and a lot of the time, um, I don't think we are very much conscious of what, how we're responding, and to what kind of um, um, conceptions of ourselves. So perhaps there is, you know, something that we've seen or that you know that we've learned in the past, um, which we hold up to be um, um, something that we should strive for in terms of being male. You know, maybe perhaps being, you know, just a stereotype, um, being very strong or very muscular um, or very super intelligent. I don't know what it is, you know, being the breadwinner in the family, you know, all these concepts that we have. Um, and yes, yeah, some of these are quite obvious to us, I think, but often um, some of these are not that obvious to us in the way in the way that they affect our behavior. Um, and so mindfulness kind of helps in terms of really looking at that. And looking at these concepts that we hold of ourselves and gives us a space to start questioning it is that really true you know is that really my what i feel authentically within myself you know is that what keeps me calm is are certain reactions that i have the ones that i really want to have yeah and so mindfulness kind of helps us with that you know looking a bit more deeply inside and uh, the uh, the different perspectives that we have on who we should be. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah, because 
you're thinking about it like do i really want a six pack i don't know chris i i actually i do want one i'm not gonna lie <laughs> you know <laughs> but um no that, that's a great question oh, uh, sorry that's a great answer about society and and how we've how we've uh, how we've been like i think how we've been taught or what's been shoved down our throats as to what is a man this is a man so again yeah it's i guess the importance is like that you that you're emphasizing here is that you figure out yourself right and um that you you know what you what kind of person or what kind of man you wish to be and in how you want to present yourself is that am i kind of in the ballpark there yeah i guess so i i guess what i'm trying to say is a lot of the stuff that we we take on unconsciously you know we just accept you know from around us society if you like we have a general word for the stuff around us um and we don't really um we don't really choose you know the person that we want to become you know um and i think the more mindful you are the more possibility there is that you can choose certain paths you know perhaps you want a six-pack that's fine absolutely fine there's nothing wrong with having a six-pack you look strong you look more sexually attractive you know um, so, so I've heard, um, but uh, <laughs> um, so, and that might be that, and that's absolutely fine. If you want to be more sexually attractive, that's absolutely fine. So, um, but the question is, where did you, did you choose that, or just like my law, did I think that somebody else chose that for me? You know. But that, but and the thing is, at the at the center of this is always our our interpretation or our or our observation of what we're experiencing. And I think that's what what uh, mindfulness is kind of, you know, pointing at. We actually can observe these things if we want to. And we can train ourselves to observe these things if we want to. Sure. That's, that's so, because yeah, we sometimes we go through life just making decisions, not realizing that we're just not, they're not aligned with who we are. And so I, I in, in in terms of talking about who we are because we need to learn that from a young age and that needs to be instilled in us isn't it so my uh i would like to ask what because i know you're a father and um, yeah. so i'd like to know what um how is this uh mindfulness contributing to your role as a father and how are you to sort of instilling that into your um children uh, i think it helps you become a bit more patient um, kids work on a different kind of like wavelength to, to adults. They, they're faster, they're running around everywhere, you know, they take up a lot of energy. Um, so it's, it's good practice <laughs> in many ways. Um, yeah, I think the most annoyed I've been recently is probably with my, with my kids. <laughs> uh, and so, but, you know, you, the mindfulness helps me to resource myself, you know, in, in certain situations. Um, and helps me to respond to them as well a bit more patiently than perhaps I, I would do if I didn't practice mindfulness. Yeah, no, I agree. Children do require patience because um, come, since coming to China, you know, running away from law, I, I became a teacher here in China for the past three years. I'm slightly shifting away from it now, but I do absolutely like, violently agree. Children require a level of patience that is not... Uh, that we don't 
you know usually cultivate in ourselves because like you said it's just like running around like too much energy it's like why are you shouting <laughs> right now you know it's like oh. <laughs> yeah so okay um is there for example I, I this this just popped into my mind now and as you were talking because yeah. in terms of parenthood and everything do you think there's um like because as like the boys don't cry concept and um the you know how men are what role we bring to the table as men so as opposed to what um like the because you know women are more nurturing in the relation in, in like the family dynamic so they need to be like the nurturing sort of uh person in that dynamic so for you what role since because i feel usually patience and all these things are not usually associated with masculinity are they i mean you know like this if we're talking about in terms of what's more popular which is like you know you need to be an alpha you need to dominate blah 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 blah. children like as a man you need to be really hard on the on the children it, the the mother's role is to be soft and the father's role is to be soft. so and you mentioned patience and i know patience is one of the skills that are very like it's like a soft soft way of approaching things so what would you say to that in terms of um patience and masculinity and all of that do you think is a is a those are traits that only should be exhibited by mothers or is it both or what's your take on that mm, i don't know i think i think patience has been demonstrated in quite a few male kind of role models in the past as well um you know you always get the uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to stay away from stereotypes but you know thinking <laughs> which is which is perhaps difficult but I'm thinking about people like Marcus Aurelius and you know the Stoic philosophers and, and people like this you know who very much in their teachings or their meditations um, teach about patience and, and cultivating patience as well so and I think a lot of the philosophers who are also males as well talk about this too you know about uh, cultivation and, and, and instilling patience and it just comes back to the point as well about okay what is, exactly is our concept of a male you know and some of the stuff is quite stereotypical you know strong strong person willing to fight and be lead the pack and uh, be an alpha um, but i think if we just look very closely in our society you know there's a whole range of different types of male um, that that we can see and that are and that are succeeding as well, you know. Yeah. So, what do you say to your son? Their daughters. <clears throat> so you you only have daughters, yeah? Yeah, I got two daughters. That was an assumption I should have asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh, that's interesting then, because um, previously I assumed you had um, son. That's wrong. So, in terms of. Um, dealing with daughters and stuff like that are you sort of telling are you showing them what um or telling them what a man should be or are you sort of maybe waiting until uh, at a later stage when they're more mature to have those sort of discussions you mean uh, telling my daughters about you know what how males should uh should respond to them or in relationship to them yeah, just the whole dynamic because uh, I found some parents at a, uh, a young, uh, like a, for, for children at a young age, they start drilling these things from a very young age, right? Some parents yeah. leave it later on to like, you know, oh no, they're not ready. We'll leave it until maybe 
16 or 17 or like you know older or something but to have those conversations i mean so what's the dynamic are you already uh sort of mm. instilling those no, a, me and my wife haven't really done it that way um in terms of different gender kind of perspectives i mean our, our approach is very much just to make the girls as strong as possible in their own minds that's it you know they they'll the world is changing and all these perceptions of roles and you know all these response all these things um are going to change as well i'm sure and so the thing we i think we can do is just guide them to themselves that they can be strong independently and that they can make their own decisions regarding relationships you know with whoever they have relationships with um so hopefully making them a bit stronger in mind perhaps through mindfulness um but allowing them that strength to hopefully make their own de- well yeah to make their own de- decisions yeah also just trying to get them to be the best version of themselves as, as much as possible like like anybody male or female i think i think that's kind of like the thing that we should be all striving for you know that we know ourselves you know regardless of whether dad tells you something or society tells you something that you know within your heart that you know what this is the path that you want to take you know that's that's going to be the strongest path it's going to be the genuine path i think okay. and that's the best path right the one that's the one that's in your heart yes 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 absolutely um yeah i mean leaving uh, a job in law to come here in Ch- to china everybody was against it you know everyone's like why are you what about your law career are you mad what's in china so but i knew within my heart that that wasn't right for me and coming here would serve a better for my life and it has you know i've um, discovered that becoming a life coach for example is something i really do enjoy because i feel i've always been that person who listens to their friends and who shows like a, a caring sort of you know shoulder to cry on and stuff like that and awesome so I thought to myself, you know, like as soon as the they I I discovered life coaching like why not get paid for it? What, you know, why not, why not train and get paid for that as well because it's something I love to do. Previously you mentioned Marcus Aurelius, um stoic. Um, so I'm I'm kind of tempted to ask you what sort of are there any books that people might uh look into that would help with the um, cultivating a more mindful state of mind um oh this this quite a few oh actually wait let me rephrase how about okay <laughs> i just tried go from my catalog there <laughs> yeah <laughs> going from my kin my kindle catalog going oh god that's all of my books <laughs> okay so how about this Uh, is there the the top 3 books that have had a, an impact in your life? Oh, that's that's quite a tough question as well actually. <laughs> you mean you mean mindfulness books, right? Yes, that you that 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 really impacted your journey on this uh, mindfulness uh, journey that you're on. Uh, top 3, you'd say. I'd say okay, the first one I read was called The Three Pillars of Zen by Philip Kaplow. and it talks about his life um as a businessman and then he goes into a zen zen monastery and it talks about all the practices of of zen practice in there and that's kind of like the first one that kind of attracted me to um to mindfulness practice so i think that's a a pretty good read tikhnat han the miracle of mindfulness 
It's a short book and it has some practices in the back. But the cool thing is the, the first part where he's talking really about his experience with his friend and their conversations around mindfulness. And so that's a nice entry kind of um, level kind of book into mindfulness. And then the third one, oh, this is difficult <laughs> because I'm, I'm tempted to pick one that I've read recently. Um, and it's one that's actually quite, maybe I should make, the, one that I'm, it's not that technical. And it's called Into the Magic Shop by James Doty. And he's like a, a neurosurgeon. And it talks about how this lady taught him some mindfulness techniques when he was young in a, in a magic shop. Her son, her son owned the magic shop. He went to the magic shop to, to pick up some tricks that he'd lost. And the lady um, strikes up a friendship with him and starts teaching him mindfulness practice. And he comes from a, a poor background, so he wasn't set up for success. But it talks about how his journey through mindfulness and how mindfulness helped him become um, uh, a really good neurosurgeon, and a, a, well, a well-known one at that as well. Wow. Yeah. Are there any... Uh, nuggets there on how he did that that you were willing to share with us yeah again about focusing attention and uh, the things that we've been talking about you know cultivating patience doing things step by step and the other thing about being compassionate to yourself especially when you come off the road because you know you know we might practice mindfulness but you know we're gonna not do it very well sometimes or not do it at all um, and it talks about he has a, a part in the book where he's arrogant. He becomes arrogant because he becomes a very successful and rich uh, neurosurgeon. And then he starts remembering the lessons that the lady taught him. And it starts helping him come back to the uh, to the path, to the mindful path. Yeah. Wow. So it, it talks about his journey in there. Yeah. Oh, thank you. No, I, I love the compassionate to yourself one because... I found that that's the most that's been really helpful in my life because I'm I I used to get so critical of myself and uh, you know I wouldn't give myself a break when I didn't do things right or I would think oh I'm behind in life because I haven't done this or I haven't done that but yeah compa self compassion really helped me sort of just accept myself you know be like it's okay that I am where I am I just need to work from where like build from build from the ground up from here you know start from here and it also kind of comes back the, to the point of arrogance as well because sometimes you know you get a little bit of success you think yeah. you're all that you know so you tend to forget and you tend to treat people in a certain way that's like oh now i'm better than you right but it's a yeah. little bit of success and it goes to people's heads so for me uh, that's been really really helpful now cheers for that chris i mean i'm sure you've already said but what practices would you tell people to, would you give to people if they wanted to practice without maybe, for the people who are not in Beijing, who are maybe not able to attend your, your mindful sunsets. So yeah. what, uh, what would you tell them? Um, the one I like teaching the most is actually something called the three step breathing space. And I like that because it, it kind of gives you a, a landscape of mindfulness practice in one practice, which can be done very, very quickly. And the, the first step is all about recognizing what's happening inside, you know, your thoughts, emotions and body sensations. And then the second step is where you gather um, your focus around your breathing. So just beginning to focus on each breath coming in and out. 
And then the third step is where you just broaden out your awareness to the sensations of breathing throughout your whole body. So you get this sense of open awareness throughout your whole body. And so that's one of the ones I really like to teach because it just, it, it holds many of the different um, perspectives and experiences of mindfulness practice. Yeah. And the different things that we can, we can see. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. But, yeah, but one of the simple sorry, I was just going to say one of the simplest things that we can do is just take one part of each of those parts, those steps. Or if, if that's um, difficult to remember as well, just focusing on the breath sometimes. Just the first thing actually is just to stop. Sometimes we're so busy and we're worried. Just taking a few moments to yourself to stop. And if you can, and if you remember, just bringing your attention to, uh, to your breathing can be very helpful. Yeah, as you said, right now I did. I started paying attention to my breathing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's definitely helpful. Um, you sort of it ground it like you you. It's it's almost as if you come to yourself, and I, it it's that statement took me a while to understand what it meant. But yeah, it is really nice when you sort of wake up and realize, oh, wait, I'm sat down. I am here, right? If there's stuff going on around you, look. Um, but anyway, Chris, um, thank you so yeah. much for your time. I know you're a busy person, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I think it's the been really lovely chatting. Oh, so go on. Go on, Valentin. <laughs> That's all right. No, I was just going to say just the last thing was, um, or second of last thing was this. If, what would you say for someone who's, who finds challenges in bringing themselves to a mindful space and who is struggling? Or like, is there any something you can tell them, or some encouraging words maybe? Yeah, just keep doing it bit by bit. Start small, you know. Um, at the beginning when I started mindfulness practice, um, I found it very hard to just do one minute sitting and observing my breath. And so just starting small and just taking a little bit of time for yourself can make a difference. And it is a practice. You'll, you'll get stronger at it the more you do, yeah. And um, yeah, just sit down and do it. You know, you'll, you'll get a load of benefit from it. Yeah, the practice is its own reward. Well, the practice is its own reward. Nice. That's great, Chris. So did you hear that, guys? Stop and practice. <laughs> uh, okay, la- it's well, as simple as that. Was- Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Yeah, simple as that. Um, so last question and, was, and maybe, and maybe actually the other thing to mention there is, you know, just you mentioned it just now, is just be kind to yourself. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people see mindfulness practice as like, um, like something else they do, like almost competitive. Oh, I've got to do, and that's how I did it at the beginning as well. You know, I've got to do really well. I've got to do five minutes. Got to do ten minutes. But, and then when we don't do it, like, oh, you know, people often think, oh no, I've, I've got a fault. That means I've done it wrong. There's no real doing it wrong in, in mindfulness. It's just the observation, the practice of observation, observing what's there. And if you do have a thought that, you know, that your mind runs away, when you do notice, as you just did just now, as you said, just be compassionate and kind to yourself. That's the other massive part of the practice. That's the other misconception, perhaps. A lot of people think that it's just about paying attention and just focus. But no, there's the other side is about the attitude that we bring to it curiosity self-compassion and kindness especially to ourselves right so okay because i've spoke to people as well who have been like oh you know i i can't meditate or whatever because my brain is 
is uh, like I'm thinking so many thoughts. So would you say the goal is not to stop thinking then? No, the, the, the goal is to build a relationship with yourself, you know? And those thoughts that you're having, the ones that you, you think that you can't stop, you know, the messy head that you've got right now, thousands of thoughts. What's your relationship to, to those thoughts right now? Is there a relationship? Or are you just in the thoughts? Can you step outside of them and relate to them in a slightly different way? Right. So it's not about quieting the, the monkey mind. It's about gaining a relationship and building a relationship with the monkey. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> if, if you look at those thoughts, they're probably trying to tell you something. Those thousands of thoughts, they're in there. And there's a thousand of them in there for a certain reason, right? What happens? Like, okay, let's go back to a kid. When a kid, you know, tugging at your shirt, you know, wants your attention, you ignore it. You ignore the it. You ignore the the child. What happens to the child? We get distressed. Start crying. Yeah, they shout out even more for your attention. The more you ignore it. Uh-huh. But what happens when you turn towards the child and speak to it, and relate to the child? and really listen to what the child is saying. What happens? Yeah. They calm down, right? They yeah. express themselves. And it's the same with the experiences that you have as well within yourself, your thoughts, your emotions, and the sensations in your body. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So instead of trying to get rid of them, figure out what they're trying to tell us, basically. Yeah, listen, listen to them. Oh, I am having thousands of thoughts in my head right now. What are those thoughts? And if you can, just observing them. That's that's the practice. Wow. It's so simple. <laughs> it's so simple, right? It is, but it, it is difficult at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Look, that's what I was going to say, because it sounds simple. And when you're telling me right now, I'm like, well, this is quite standard stuff. But then, yeah, I'm not sure if you've already answered, but... W- why do people struggle with that, do you think? Because it's easy, easy for us to get distracted by other things um, that we think we need, you know? Um, could be lots of things, entertainment, pursuing certain things. We, we always think that what we need is not where we are right now. Right. And perhaps not even within us, you know? Mm. You know, we're, we're thinking about how we, we make it in terms of careers and and uh, earning earning things, you know, and so it leads us away from ourselves and into our into our into our thoughts more rather than what we feel. So the the promise of the future, or the the grass is greener on the other side that we're always looking over instead of just focusing. On yeah, that. I think there's there's perhaps that feeling that I'll be happy when I've done something or I've I've made it in this kind of sense, you know, somewhere. You know, when I've got a certain title or where I've got a certain amount of money in the bank account. Um, yeah, so perhaps that leads us away from the, the present moment experience that we, we can be having. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that kind of talks about the, the self-worth. Like most men attach their worth in, the, in their achievements and success. Is Okay, so I, I mean, I know this is also another unfair question, but... <laughs> How can one person who attaches their worth to their successes and achievements begin to separate and 
you know not identify with with that so much well um i think the observation of of that process and just being very honest with yourself you know there's actually nothing wrong with pursuing pursuing money um i think it can be done mindfully as as well uh, but do we know that we're doing it you know are we fully involved in what we're doing in the present moment um is it really what's making us happy you know these types of honest conversation that we could be having with ourselves um when we observe more deeply inside um and that's that's what it is isn't it just having that honesty to look at look at it you know what what is really making me what would what is making me happy you know what kind of experience going to go back to the neuro neurosurgeon or neuroscientist that you mentioned because it's almost as if you know his achievements were getting him arrogant and cocky but yeah when, exactly. once he detached from his sort of you know his achievements that kind of gave him a humility yeah exactly when he when he lost that connection with his um present-minded consciousness of what he was actually doing he he began to think he was great just because he was great not because of the years of work that he'd put into the his practice of neurosurgery you know he he began to have a concept of himself which was detached from the actual work that he'd put into what he was doing into the process and so that that led him into a yeah a, a more challenging experience yeah thank you no I'll, I'll definitely be checking that book out it sounds really good sounds really good um but no thank you so much chris for for your time today um so before i go where would you where would where can people find you uh, do you have any platform so people are not in china or people who are back home in the uk yeah so i've got a few platforms one of them is called uh, talkitforlife.com so it's a website um and i also have a wechat authorized account i think it's called and it's called ATKFL for a toolkit for life so if you search that you'll find it as well right. yeah yeah no thank you for that chris um, i'm part of uh, chris's a toolkit for life group on wechat and yeah he puts some really really wise quotes on there guys if you're in china get at me i'll add you to the group or <laughs> try and uh, I'll, I'll connect you with chris here but um yeah thank you so much for uh, listening guys if you've made it this far and yeah thank you so much for your time and if you enjoyed this please share it with someone who might find it useful and chris thank you once again for your time sir i appreciate yeah. it thank you so much valentin guys if you've made it this far safe to say you are a real one <laughs> No, thank you so much for listening and I do hope you enjoyed the episode. Wasn't that great? I thought it was great, filled with loads of loads and loads of advice and some good takeaways there. So, as always, if you enjoyed the episode and you think someone else might find it useful, please share it with them. And I hope you continue to heal my friends because we need more men to heal so we can change the world. Take care. <laughs>